Welcome to the Think Like Amazon podcast, the show where I sit down with former Amazon executives to discuss Amazon's unique principles and processes and tease out how you can apply them to grow and manage your business. I'm Tyler Wallace, a seven-year former Amazonian, current brand consultant, and your host as we learn to think like Amazon. Welcome to the Think Like Amazon podcast. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Mandy Botsdorf to the show. Mandy spent over 13 years at Amazon across a number of roles, including as leader of product management, marketing, and retail buying teams, running Prime Pantry, leading the supply chain function for Amazon Private Label, and leading worldwide employee performance management programs. Almost a year ago, Mandy left Amazon to join The Books, an innovative e-commerce floor delivery service where she is now vice president of people. Mandy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tyler. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to have you. And in particular, we were talking a little bit previously about all of the different roles that you've had and this awesome variety of experience that you've culminated up to this point. To go into a little more detail, can you take us through a bit more about yourself and your career at Amazon? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So I joined Amazon a long time ago in 2007, which was almost like a different company, but the same company all at the same time. I started in account management a long time ago. There was this a group called Enterprise Services where we hosted other retailers on our platform. And some people may remember that Target was actually hosted on Amazon's platform back then. And so that's the group that I worked in managing some other accounts that were not Target. And it was a great introduction to e-commerce. I just was experiencing to all different parts of supply chain, payments, UI. It was just a really great role with a lot of great people. And it was also a great segue because before that, I'd spent my time in content management and product management at AOL and at newspapers. And so this was like a leap forward in terms of all of the world of e-commerce, which is a whole other layer of metrics on top of the world of content. And so I spent some time there. And then I gravitated to retail, which is where I spent a good chunk of my 13-year tenure at Amazon. I moved to the toys team and worked in marketing, which was a fascinating business at a fascinating time. We were growing exponentially. I spent four peaks there, which is kind of, I feel like a badge of honor is deserved for being through four, four holiday peaks in toys. It was great. And then moved into another hard lines category, musical instruments, where I um, led their marketing function, but also moved over to uh, a DMM role, which is managing a P&L and the buying team. And that's really where I started to fall in love with the business and the supply chain and this whole other part of running retail categories, which then led me to Prime Pantry, which was just an amazing challenge. It's like a business within the Amazon business itself with kind of its own unique website, supply chain, everything about it was kind of custom. Uh, and then moving to another challenge to consumables, private brands, where I led supply chain and operations, which was a really fun time to be there as they were growing their selection, which is now my pantry is filled with it. So it's so exciting to see how far it's come, which then takes me to this next part of my career journey, which is where I really wanted to get closer to people as my product. I was really really gravitating more toward the higher and develop tasks in my day. And I really wanted to make a move toward that. And ultimately, I was fortunate enough to move to a role in global talent management where I was leading performance management worldwide for Amazon, which was just really 
fantastic opportunity working with some really smart people. So as I tell this story, it feels like there's so many different roles and they feel like all little micro lifetimes within a 13-year tenure, but it was just a really fun journey. When you consider how many different things you did in 13 years, I mean, you were moving very fast. And one of the things that we always talked about at Amazon was this idea of being fungible. And we talked about fungible leaders. We talked about general athletes. And I think that, I mean, just based on your career path, you're a great example of that, not just from a functional perspective, going from account management to product management to marketing in these retail roles to supply chain and then HR, but even just the businesses that you were in. I mean, you talked about the four badges of honor for holiday seasons on the toys team to then moving to musical instruments and then grocery and consumables. Certainly, there's a lot of different components and dynamics in each of those. As you moved throughout all of these different roles, how did you ensure that you were focusing on the right inputs to quickly deliver value in the new businesses that you entered? Yeah, I think it's, you touched on it, and it's the general athlete concept, right? It's if you build up uh, strength and muscles across many different kinds of problem-solving areas, analytics, competency, there's a certain profile that you can really strengthen. And when you strengthen these core muscles, you can really jump in to solve increasingly complex problems as you go. And I feel that's kind of the picture that my career kind of paints along the journey at Amazon and give you some context. So thinking about toys, right? So jumping in even from a marketing lens, I had to learn really quickly, how do you market with the lens of also the impact to the business? Because toys were at the time, e-commerce friendly packaging wasn't really that much of a thing. And so you had to overbox toys and they were already, you know, uh, low margin items to begin with. And how did you successfully think about that when you were, you know, choosing your marketing campaigns and your targeting, et cetera. And then moving into musical instruments, it's like a, you take the muscles you build in toys and then you solve different sets of problems, right? In musical instruments, it was how do you get customers to buy really expensive products without hearing them or trying them first? And what are the problems we're trying to solve? And of course, there's a marketing hat that you wear there. There's also a bit of a dive deep hat trying to really figure out what would it take to get a customer to convert. And in that whole process is where I was able to get my name on a patent at Amazon because we... Congratulations. Thank you. It's like one of my biggest uh, accomplishments besides that four peaks and toys, I think. We were really trying to figure out what could we invent to help give customers more context to some of the intangible tangible product attributes that you don't see when you're filtering in your typical search results. And so that was really a fascinating project to go through. And then moving into Prime Pantry, it's a whole other set of problems, right? It's like, okay, these products that we sell are single pack size consumables, and most of them are under $5. And how do you distribute these in a way where you don't completely lose a ton of money? And so the supply chain was unique, and the customer experience was unique in that we asked people to build a box and add many items to a box and also to pay for shipping. So very counterintuitive as an Amazon customer and really trying to solve the problems. How do you make that? That program successful ultimately. So yeah, you just kind of jump into these increasingly complex problems and you take this agnostic view. You say, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? 
and you start to break down the pieces as little inputs to achieve this big output that you're looking to achieve here ultimately. And it's just been great. And I'm also flexing those same muscles at the books. And it's been every day I, I, I recognize when some of those Amazon muscles that I've built are coming through to help me accomplish things at the books. I find that really interesting. And one of the things that I'm hearing there, Mandy, is that you moved into each of these roles and your attention quickly shifted to, okay, we need to meet customer need in X area. So let's work back from there and let's consider all of the problems or challenges that we need to go tackle and solve in order to deliver that experience. And I'm reading between the lines is that as you gained experience across these different functions in these different businesses, that expanded your ability to identify different uh, requirements and different needs you were working to deliver. And that helped you identify those inputs more holistically and more quickly as well, because you could put on that in-stock hat, you could put on that marketing hat, you could apply these experiences that you had gained. So you progressed from focusing on these individual functions one at a time. And as many leaders at Amazon, you grow in scope and then you find yourself in these program leadership roles where you have multiple functions that are rolling up to you and you have to think about and be involved in different areas. Um, how did you adapt your leadership style as you began to manage talent across various functions on your teams? I think that there are two um, big times of stretch in your early career. The first one is going from individual contributor to a manager, right? And then the second one is going from managing a function that you're really close to and you're an expert in to then expanding your scope to manage beyond that function. So multifunction leader. And I think when I was going through that, as I moved into Prime Pantry and taking on selection and supply chain and pricing and all of these kinds of functions that roll up to creating a core program. And I did consult with some of my mentors during that time. I also was really fortunate to be a part of the um, Amazon Leadership Acceleration Program, where it's week-long training for for leaders, which was really, really eye-opening and great. And some of the, the takeaways that I learned are really there's really like three pillars that I still feel how I approach leadership today. And one of them is it's really becoming more comfortable uh, making decisions with less data, right? So you're no longer the functional expert for every core function that you're managing. And so you have to really start to become more comfortable with less data and lean more on that R right a lot and that judgment that you've built over all these previous roles. And you have to really trust yourself that you're ready to do that. And you also get really adept at asking the right questions at the right time so that you can make those decisions more quickly and without creating a lot of churn on your team. Which then leads me to my second point, which is really learning how to audit your team and inspect defects without burning them out. It's a fine line. In fast-growing businesses like Amazon, like the Books, you're always going to identify defects and the ability to continue to iterate and optimize your business. And that's really the Amazon way. But there is a point where it's going to not be a great return on investment in terms of your team's time or their morale. And so you have to, as a leader be able to prioritize where your teams dig in and where you spend time auditing their decision-making. And so that takes a little practice. Then third, it's really being able to effectively communicate and vision and also establish goals across your team. I think there's one way that you audit yourself as a leader, which is if you were to ask everyone on your team what the vision of the organization is, do you get the same answer? And so by managing multiple functions, you have to, at the end of the day, make sure that all those functions roll back to that core goal that you all want to achieve and that you're all rallied around and that you don't become so siloed that you lose that. 
So that's really what I learned. And of course, some of it's trial and error when you're a manager, right? You do your best and you take feedback and you learn as you go. And it's something I think all leaders are still working on on any given day. That's a great three-pillar process. First is being comfortable making those decisions as a leader without complete or full data. And then second is balancing that ability to audit your team, but still make fast decisions, bias for action, as we call it at Amazon. And then finally, vision. How do you keep that vision and keep that centered in, in what everyone's working towards? As you went through this process and had these experiences, are there any examples that come to mind where you did have to rely on your team and make a quick decision without having the full data? Yeah, I think about my time in Prime Pantry. It's a really tough business and we had some tough goals. I walked into the business and we had a goal not too long after I started, which is increase profitability by X, but it's just this big goal. And with that comes a lot of, you know, a lot of dive deep, you know, to identify are there, you know, where are the opportunities to even meet this goal of X, right? And then a lot of prioritization of, okay, which ones we're going to tackle first based on, you know, what the opportunity would be. And then there's like the execution part. And one of the big pillars was, you know, we hadn't, we hadn't really optimized our selection in the past like couple of years at the time I was there. And so it was really kind of digging in and really identifying what selection should we have and why? And how many SKUs should we have and why? And in that process, you have to make so many decisions, right? And it's not only on behalf of the business, but you're also balancing that customer impact. And, you know, you could have endless meetings on, okay, for paper towels, do we need a six pack and a 12 pack and why? And what's the business implication and what's the customer implication and why? And you can ask a thousand questions, right? Like, well, what's the basket size of the six pack versus the 12 pack? What are the reviews? And you could endlessly figure this out. And so one way to reduce that burden of asking the whys over and over every time we had to make a tough decision is we instead said, okay, we're going to come up with some kind of um, model that says, these are the table stakes of what it would take to keep a product in the store. And then here are the exceptions. Here are the things that we're not going to keep. And here are the reasons why per the model. And so it helped us really reduce churn on the team. It helped us make um, decisions with a little less information, but the core information that we needed. And it allowed the team to really drive the model and the decision-making. And then the discussion was just really around a few exceptions at that point. And so it just seemed to be more efficient than scrutinizing every decision in the moment. And I don't know if that's a great example, but that's one where I can remember there were just so many tough decisions and there was no clear right answer all the time. I think that's a great example. It illustrates this mental model that I think is very common to Amazon, but not necessarily everywhere. When you have to curate content, you can either go the high touch approach of apply human judgment to every decision, or you can apply this framework of, okay, what are the criteria that we're going to use? Identify the trade-offs of those criteria, apply that to the data, and then evaluate the outliers where we're happy or not happy with the results and any fringe cases that need manual review. And so I, th I think it's great. It, it illustrates this mental model that is really important. I'd love to come back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier, Mandy, in your walk through your career path. You talked about after having spent 
several years in these various business functions, you really gravitated to people. And I imagine as a people leader yourself within these businesses and functions, you had a lot of experience hiring, developing, coaching, promoting different people in your teams and organizations. And a few years ago, started doing some executive and career consulting on the side. Were there specific experiences that you had in Amazon that led you to discover that interest and gravitate to this people component of your career? Absolutely. I think um, as my time at Amazon continued, I would start to look more and more forward to those interactions around mentoring or bar raising or um just catching up with a mentor. Those became the most valuable interactions I would have in a day. And that's among tons of interactions about the business. And I really started to value those interactions. And I really wanted to do more in that space. When you go through your career, you hit these moments where you say, is my work aligned with my values? And if I had that alignment, what would that look like? And I went through that process and I said, well, this is what's making me happiest during the day. And so how can I do more of that? And so I would continue to take on more SME ships, as we say at Amazon, subject matter experts in these areas where I would take on a bigger responsibility for bar raising in my organization, not just as an individual bar raiser, or I would take on people and culture SME ships because I just wanted to do more of it. And what I found is I needed to get more... um, Amazonian about it. I wanted to have real mechanisms to drive the right outcomes in these spaces. Up to that moment, I had been giving a lot of guidance and coaching based on my own experiences and learnings, but I knew that out there, there was a whole set of training and development on true mechanisms by which to unlock performance and um, awareness in, in people. And so I committed to get my coaching certification on nights and weekends. And over a nine-month period, I was able to do that. And then I had a manager who was really supportive of me finding a place in global talent management where I could use both this general athlete skill set that I had built up, plus this new passion and this new skill set of coaching. And so that's how I ended up in global talent management. I I, want to dig a little bit deeper on this idea of you having a general athlete experience throughout all these different functions in your career. How have all of these prior roles together influenced your current approach to talent management now at the books? Yeah, it's really um, interesting because I feel like in the people operations HR space, there are so many transferable skills from the general athlete slash business profile. In my day-to-day, I can just give some examples to really kind of demonstrate how they overlap. For example, you know, we use data to guide us in our business decisions. Getting clearer data sets when it comes to people and culture and morale is really critical for leadership teams to understand where to invest time and resources to improve the health of an organization. And so, for example, at the Books, one thing that my team implemented not long after I joined was something similar to an Amazon Connections type of methodology, where we're asking employees for sentiment around lots of different topics weekly. And so we want to have real-time data to help us navigate, especially in times like this, where things are changing so, so quickly all the time around the pandemic. How do we manage a healthy workplace in that time? And so you take this data and you develop frameworks and solutions 
to really help in the areas where you see those pain points coming through in your data. For example, there's not really any clear answer on how anyone should navigate the the current situations. But what we can do is say, okay, the pain points that are popping through for my organization are, and for us right now, it's meetings. There's a lot of meetings, there's Zoom fatigue, and it's causing a, a negative sentiment when all the meetings add up. And we're putting some mechanisms in place to clearly help solve for that, um, because we know that that's one of the specific pain points. And then a second big pillar, I think where we're seeing that is, you know, people are really craving social interaction. And while we can't really recreate the pre-pandemic in-office social interactions, we're looking for ways where we can increase some social interactions, even if it's over Slack or if it's limited days in the office with limited capacity, where we can help facilitate this need that the organization is, is stating that they want. And then we're also seeing how to some employees are having a difficult time creating those boundaries between home and work. And because everyone's computer is in their living room or their bedroom or their home office. And so using that data to put specific mechanisms in place to help create those boundaries or to empower employees to create those boundaries on their own so that we can then achieve outcomes are specific to the needs of the organization. I'm curious to take a little bit further, just because I think this is such a hot topic, Mandy. Everyone can relate to fatigue in one area or another with the pandemic and all of the ways we've had to adapt how we work on a daily basis. You're obviously at the center of thinking through this and collecting the feedback and implementing these new ideas. Thinking through this as a mechanism, once you've gotten the feedback and and you're implementing these new parameters or policies, how are you thinking about ensuring that those have solved the the root issue? And then how do you think about continuously improving on that process? Yeah, I love that question. It would be continuous measurement of some of these sentiments. I guess I should back up here for a second. It's two things. It's polling employees about the specific mechanisms or things that have been put into place to solve these three issues to see what is their sentiment. For example, we implemented some no meeting blocks to help create some boundaries between the end of the workday and the beginning of your evening at home. Not long after we implemented that, we inserted the survey question, are these helpful or are they not helpful? So we could immediately get feedback on if we are helping the organization or not. And the overwhelming response was that it was helpful. And so that's something that we're going to keep. And then there's this other piece, which is just continuing to measure sentiment around these topics as a whole over time. And so for meetings, we have some trainings coming up. We have some new meeting etiquette and requirements that should help cut down on too many attendees or inefficiencies, things that we've all gone through in all of our time and all of our roles. And so over time, we're going to see, okay, are those mechanisms effective? Is sentiment around meetings going up? I think too, there's this other thing where it's this whole inputs outputs framework too, where you can think about over time, a big output metric for someone in my space is going to be attrition. And how do you start thinking about what are those upstream input metrics that will ultimately impact that downstream metric of attrition? And how do we start putting real tangible measurements on those? And you can imagine, as you think about it in in an Amazonian way, the inputs are probably something like satisfaction around pay, benefits, manager, team, and work-life balance are probably the core ones. And how do we get to a space where we are focused solely on those inputs to ensure that we're optimizing them? 
That's really interesting. At Amazon, it's very common to apply scale to decisions. What measurements can we use so that we're not making individual decisions? We're making decisions that then can be scaled across multiple people, multiple organizations, teams, et cetera. Um, how is that framework Im- impacting the way you're thinking about these different components of hiring, developing, promoting, retention, et cetera, at the books? We think about it with every mechanism we implement or every process we implement. One thing that I ask my team when we're thinking through a, a workflow or a process or, or an idea is, this works for today, but does it work 24 months from now? It works for this many employees, would it work for that many employees? And I think by asking ourselves that question, we stretch our thinking a little bit every time we make a decision to really understand are we putting something in place that's going to be okay to also use 24 months from now? Or are we going to have to rebuild it? And when you're in a smaller growth organization, you don't have the resources to constantly rebuild or recreate the wheel. And so I think it's really important to ask your teams those questions as you're putting things in place. I think, you know, something as simple as creating an intranet for a company. You think about some of these simple things not being impactful, but you think about how many interactions you reduce over email or Slack by now posting things in a centralized location. When you've been in a large company for a while, you sometimes forget how these things add up in smaller environments that are less mature companies. And so there's a lot of smaller scale things that we're doing at the books that really help us to scale. Integrating some of our HR software to ensure that our data is all aligned so that when we want to pull a data set, it's clean across many different sources. And I think a lot of smaller companies would really benefit by leaning into a bit of that. Does it scale? And is it simplified? Um, I challenge that a lot in my current team, which is how do we take the human repetitive action out of this process? What can we do to automate it? Because once we take that task off our plate, we can then scale ourselves to think about bigger problems to solve. And articulating that to someone like you, Tyler, is something we've always done at Amazon. But as I've moved away from Amazon and I'm now at the books, I see the value in that every day in almost every decision we make. It's such a harder challenge to implement some of those things from scratch I'm thinking about the Amazon wiki that we all used and it just became second nature and you needed clarification on a program. You look at the company wiki and you see what page has already been written. And then if you still have questions, you reach out to the team and, and talk through it. But that saves so much time. At the same time, I imagine in a smaller company or, or a fast growth company where you don't have this big Amazon wiki at your disposal, building something like that from scratch is a big feat and it, it takes a lot of thought. It could be done in a way that doesn't get traction. And so thinking through all of those things is interesting and and certainly scaled. Mandy, this has been fun to hear your thought process as you take us through these different examples. You translate some of the things you did at Amazon to what you're doing now. What are you most excited about in your current work at the Books? I'm so excited about the potential we have as an organization. The the human capital we have, the people are so great and they do so many great things every day. It's just been such a pleasure to be uh, surrounded by so many cool people. And what I'm most excited about from just a, a functional standpoint is I, I feel like we have a leadership team that's really invested in building people and culture and doing what it takes 
to do the right things. It's super exciting to be surrounded by leaders who really want to make a difference. And I think we're just at the beginning of our journey of really listening to our employees and really acting upon their needs. And I'm excited to see where that goes. Is it safe to say it's still day one at the books? It is safe to say it's still day one at the books. Well, great. I'm really excited to continue to see what the team does and continues to build it. Where can listeners go to learn more about you or learn more about the books? Check us out at books.com. You can learn all about the company and we also have our job listings there. Thanks again. It's been fun having you on the show. Thanks so much, Tyler. It's been great to be here.